morning, Southbridge. We are glad that you are here today. If you're a guest with us, I want to say a special hello and welcome to you. And so thank you so much for coming and uh, checking us out as a church. If you're looking for a church or maybe you're in from out of town or for whatever reason, we just want you to know that we are glad that you're here. We've prayed for you. We've prepared for you. We've got parking spots for you and all that stuff. And hopefully somebody to show you to make sure you don't get lost in the movie theater and all those types of details. But uh, there's one thing we ask you to do. If you wouldn't mind, on your way in, Lord willing, you received a card that we are a program that we call a worship program or a bulletin or lots of people call it different things but inside it there's a little card that we call a connection card if you wouldn't mind taking that out and filling that out for us today if you take that out to the first time guest kiosk on your way out um, we're going to make a donation to a ministry that rescues people out of human trafficking because you filled that card out so you get to impact somebody else's life by simply filling that card out and then also we want to give you a gift and so if you'd fill that card out for us right now that'd be great and while you're filling that out I just want to tell our church but a couple family things that are taking place. Uh, for those of you who are part of this church family, and maybe you're back, you've been gone for a little while, or whatever reason, maybe you're here some of June. You know, in June, we talked about that was the end of our fiscal year, and we wanted to finish the fiscal year strong because we were going to be pretty soon um, going to banks and talking to banks about possibly breaking ground on the property that we own over on Glenwood Avenue. And so I wanted to not just ask you to, to give strong. I wanted to tell you how it went. You guys did great. Um, you, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Those will probably be in your worship program next week or the week after coming soon. I'm sure an email and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we finished the year in the black. And if you're not familiar with the counting language, that's good in case you didn't know. That means that we brought in more money than we spent. And so the official numbers will come soon. But I wanted to thank you for your generosity and thank you for doing that and give you a little idea of where we're at now too with some of the other things we talked about. I told you that we would begin to do an audit. And I don't know the exact start date when the audit started, but uh, it takes about 30 days. And so about mid-August, we should be done with the audit. We did one last year too, and it turned out great. And so I'm sure this, I'm planning, that, thinking that this year's will turn out great as well. Um, but we'll get the results from that, and then we'll go to some banks and talk to them. And Lord willing, this isn't a promise, uh, but a hope, uh, hopefully, in the end of August, beginning of September sometime, we'll have an idea of when we might be able to break ground on our property over on Glenwood Avenue. And so keep praying for us in that. I want to thank you for your generous giving in June and let you know that. And there's some exciting things that are happening at our church. Um, that's one of them. There's some other stuff too. If you look in your worship program, some of the different things that are taking place. One of them is that we have one of our missionaries back, a college student, Anna Fulkrod, who was in Madagascar for the last two years. She's back today. After you eat lunch, if you want, there's a dessert reception over at our office. You go and hear kind of how her time was and get an idea of what God was doing um, through the extension of our body, um, Southbridge in Africa. And so you can go check that out today at one o'clock and you can look in the worship program for other stuff that's going on. We got our groups tent out there uh, outside the awning today. So if you're interested in getting plugged into one of our groups, uh, today would be a great day to do that. And then also exciting is that we're wrapping up the book of Acts. Do not cheer. I will be offended, okay? But uh, I'm just teasing. Uh, it's great. It's great to accomplish something. We're going to be in the last chapter of the book of Acts today. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we'll open up the scriptures together. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your truth that you speak to us, and we know that your word is powerful. It's living and active, and uh, I pray you'd pierce our hearts this morning. I pray you'd comfort us and confront us, and I pray you'd encourage us and break us down where necessary. I pray you'd remove pride from hindering us from hearing from you, and I pray that you'd give us humility, and I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that we'd be blessed and challenged, we'd be changed as a church as a whole, that the things that get said would impact this city, perhaps for years to come, Lord willing, for eternity. And God, I pray you'd speak to our individual situations, and you know what those are, and I can't possibly guess what every situation is that will hear these words, but God, will you speak words? that change the exact way that you desire for them to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28. We've been going through the book of Acts together for 19 months now. That's a long time. 
And uh, we've heard a lot of messages, and we've been going all through this book, and we're at the last passage of Scripture, verses 16, or really verses 11 through 31, but I'm going to jump to the end, do something a little different today. We're going to read the last two verses first, verses 30 and 31. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. The reason why I'm reading these two verses first is because from these two verses come two observations that will be the thrust of everything we talk about this morning. So look at it with me. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there. There is Rome. He's been on his way to Rome for multiple months now, <laughs> for us as a church, but for multiple chapters through the book of Acts. And he's, he's there. He stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all those who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, okay, but re- there's been a lot of anticipation up to this point that Paul's going to go and he's going to stand before Caesar. Read all of Acts chapter 28. Caesar's never mentioned. There's been lots of uh, thoughts here about what's going to happen. He's been in prison since Acts chapter 21, and they held him, and they transported him here. So does he get killed? Does he get executed? Does he get released? Do they just decide to keep him in prison? And Luke, the author of Acts, doesn't answer any of those questions. In fact, the end of Acts is very interesting because it doesn't end. It's an open-ended ending, and here's why. Because the book of Acts is still being written. And it's being written by you, and by me, and by the church. See, the story of Acts is the story of the church, the movement. God's plan A for reaching the world, there is no plan B. I've said that a lot of times over the last 19 months. That God's plan for the church was never that it was a political organization. It was never that it was some moral reformation place. It was never just a religious institute where people come together, go through religious rituals, and feel better about themselves. It was supposed to be a movement of God where people would come into contact with Jesus Christ. Jesus would transform their lives. Then they would become his witnesses, telling all the things that they had heard, seeing all the things they've experienced, they then shared, just like a witness in court. You talk about what you've heard. You talk about what you've seen. What have you experienced of Jesus Christ? And then as you do that, his movement sweeps the world. Other people's lives are touched. Their lives are changed. And so the story is not over when we come to the book of Acts. It's interesting. It's a lot like a lot of parts of life. Think about different stages of life you've gone through where you plan towards something and you get to the end only to realize it's not the end. College. Those of you who have been to college, you know, you pick a major, you meet with your advisor, you take all these classes, you graduate, you take all the exams, you're done, and then the day after graduation, you, you accomplish something, but then you realize, now you got to get a job. <laughs> now there's life. Or uh, think about a young couple that gets married, and they plan towards the wedding, and they've got to decide who to invite and who not to invite, and they've got to decide what kind of invitations to have, and whether they're going to have the fancy paper on them, or whether they're going to be something else of invitations, or how they're going to do all these things, who's going to take the pictures, what kind of flowers are they going to have, what kind of cake are they going to eat, what kind of car are they going to drive away in, and when they get in that car at the end of that day, the wedding's over, but it's the first day of their marriage, their life has changed, or a woman finds out she's pregnant. She's got nine months now on a plan for how to breathe, <laughs> um, whether to do it in a bathtub or to do it on a bed, you know, whether to do it at a hospital or at their house, all this stuff to plan. Then you deliver the baby. That is not the end. <laughs> that's the beginning, and your life has changed forever at that moment. And that's what it's like in the book of Acts. We come to the end of the book of Acts. It's not the end. You're the end. Until Jesus Christ comes back, the book of Acts is still happening. All the epistles that happen, uh, Ephesians, Romans, Corinthians, all the books that we see after Acts, it's a continuation of the book of Acts. It's the church. And you and I are the church, plan A to reach the world. There is no plan B. Also interesting is exactly how this book ends. 
The last word in verse 31, the last word in the book of Acts in the, in the Greek text, the Greek manuscript, is the word unhindered. The NIV reads, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Other English translations capture the idea that that's the last word in Greek. See, every English version of the Bible we have is a translation of the, of the Greek Bible. New American Standard, English Standard version of the Bible, both have the word, it's one word in Greek, without hindrance or unhindered. As the very last word in the book of Acts, Luke's giving us a message with the last word, unhindered, without hindrance. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've got to ask yourself, what do you mean without hindrance? There was a shipwreck, there was a storm, there was a snake bite, the guy's still in chains. How do we get to this point where the gospel's going forth without hindrance? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Unhindered for the gospel. How can a church be, how can you and I be unhindered for the gospel? The way we get there, as we pick up where we left off last week, there was a storm, there was a shipwreck, there was a snake bite. Remember last week we talked about God uses our pain as his platform to impact other people's lives. And then what we saw in Paul's life is after he gets bit by a snake and God miraculously heals him, God does what God oftentimes does. He takes the guy who's been healed and then uses him to bring healing in the lives of others. And oftentimes, those of you who've been through pain, you know, God comforts you in your pain so that then you can comfort others. God shows you mercy so then you can show mercy to others. God shows you love, you show love to others. That's how God works. And that's what he does with Paul. And we ended last week in verse 9. Then in verse 10, what happens is they come, they honor him. They bring probably some money, some goods for him as he travels. And then verses 11 through 15 talk about his travels, the, the boat ride that he's on. He ends in modern-day Naples. Then he walks 140 miles. Okay, look at that process. That wasn't like a biblical miracle. He walked 140 miles to get to Rome. He finally ends up in Rome, what we've been waiting for for months in verse 16. Look at it with me. If you have Acts chapter 28, verse 16, verses will be on the screen. When we got to Rome, this is Luke, the author, talking about he and Paul and their team. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Now, Paul's been found innocent everywhere he's gone. Every time he stood before a Roman official, they found him innocent. So he's under house arrest. He's still chained to a guard. They gave him some liberties. They gave him some freedom to live in a house that he rented himself. He's probably able to make tents while he's there. That's how he pays for things. He gets settled in, verse 17. says, three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. And now he's going to give a summary of what happened in verses 21 through 27. They examined me and wanted to release me every time Verse 20, or chapter 24, chapter 25, chapter 26, every time he stood trial before Romans, he was found innocent. They wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. Verse 19, but when the Jews objected because they wanted to get rid of me, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. And let me be clear, he's speaking to the Jews here, not because I had anything to accuse you of, not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. I'm for you and I love you. Let me tell you why. Verse 20, for this reason, I've asked to see you and to talk with you because of the hope of Israel. That's Jesus Christ. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. Then they respond, verses 21 and 22. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. We don't even know who you are, Paul. And part of it's probably because politically they didn't want to get involved because they already knew that he was found innocent multiple times, but also it's possibly true because remember, Paul, the reason why he got in a storm is because he left so late in the season. He was the last boat to leave. And then he hops on this boat from Malta and heads there. He's the first boat to arrive. So he probably beats the news of his trial getting there. 
And then they say this, verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect, Christianity. And so there's the setup. Paul introduces himself. They talk about wanting to hear it. Now here's the heart of the passage, verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers. So not just the leaders of the Jews, multiple people to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them. He put before them, he's preaching to them, teaching them from morning till evening. Don't ever give me a hard time about going long. This is like 10 or 12 hours. <laughs> You're like, I'm having lunch. It's three minutes. Just relax, okay? Ten, 10 to 12 hours, this guy's preaching. And what's he preaching about? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, a lot of people have been around church, you think of, well, that's the end times. Like, that's when Jesus comes back, and some people call it the millennial kingdom, thousand-year reign of Christ. No, the kingdom of God is that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He's the hope of Israel. They've been promising. The king, the promised Messiah that was mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament is then fulfilling all those prophecies in the New. He's telling them the king is the one who will rule and reign in the followers' hearts. Will you be his follower? That's the kingdom of God. It happens in the sphere of salvation. And yes, at the end time, but now, here and now, in our hearts and our lives, if Christ is reigning and ruling as king, and he tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And so he took their Bible, Jewish Bible, shows them, this is Jesus, he's come, now that's what he did. It says, verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. Here's Paul's final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, this is Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, he quotes, verse 26 in our passage. Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Verse 27, for this people's heart has become calloused or hard. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. That's repent. And I would heal them, God says. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And then those last two verses. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he fulfilled the prophecies of the Jewish scriptures, unhindered and with boldness. What we see here in this passage isn't really anything new. He gets to Rome, this anticipated spot, and he does what he does in every other city he goes to. He goes to the Jew first. Some believe, most reject. Then he turns to the Gentiles. What sticks out to us is this prophecy that he quotes. It's the first time he's quoted it here. Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10, and how they respond. He's telling them why they respond the way they respond. And then we see that the gospel is going forth boldly and without hindrance. That word without hindrance means it doesn't have anything holding it back. There's no restraint on it. It makes me think of at our house, we have a, a little dog. He's our little pet puppy. He's a miniature dachshund. His name is Noble. He weighs about nine pounds, about five of its fur. My wife did not want us to get Noble when we got Noble, and I was the one pushing. I was at this stage where I was wanting us to get a puppy, and so I, don't do this. This is not good uh, marital counsel here, but I would take a, pictures of cute puppies on my computer screen, and I'd show them to our kids, get them all riled up. And I go, come on, honey, can we get a dog? And, and she's like, we don't need another thing to feed. We don't need someone else to clean up after or care for. We don't need any of this stuff, but we got the dog. She didn't want the dog. Guess what the dog does when the dog gets to our house? Goes right to her. It's like her dog. He just sits at her feet and is always around. I'm like, ah, you wouldn't even be here is what I say to him sometimes. And so, but that's what dogs do. Don't they usually go to the person who likes them the least? And so then it goes to her and kind of melts her heart. And he's just this little fur ball. 
And so we get this dog, we put a fence in in our backyard to try and keep him in our backyard. But the thing's so skinny, he still can fit through the fence. So I feed him table scraps, I try to fatten him up, it doesn't work. So even though we have a fenced-in backyard, we have to put our dog on a leash. So we put him on this leash in the backyard, and he goes out, and we take him outside to do the things he does. And every once in a while, we play on the backyard, and we take the leash off of him, and he just, like, just tears around the yard. Something happens in that moment where our nine-pound miniature dachshund turns into like a gazelle on the Discovery Channel. He's like, woof, cheetah, flying through the plains of Africa. You know, he's just running everywhere because we've taken off the hindrance. He's been unleashed now. now he, and he also can go through the fence and run through the neighborhood, which is funny to watch our whole family. Sometimes we don't have shoes on, whatever. The neighbors probably think it's great, you know, just chasing the dogs in the neighborhood. But he's, he's running free. What would it take for the church in America to be unleashed on this nation and on this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? In other words, what's holding us back? Is it that we get focused on like a political agenda? Read Facebook. We make it spiritual. Is it that we get so focused on the moral problems, the outward behavior? If we could just fix everybody's behavior, is what we think the job is of the church. Or is it you go to some churches, they're not like a movement, they're more like a monument. Do you want to visit a church and see how church used to be done? Because the church was supposed to be a movement of God's people being his active witnesses, telling and showing what they've experienced with Jesus Christ. And so what is it that's holding us back? Let me ask a more personal question. What is it that holds you back? Because the church is made up of individuals that come together collectively. They meet under the umbrella of local congregations that have leadership that God's raised up. It's His plan. We're vessels. We're, we're fragile. We're imperfect. But that's God's plan to reach the world. And isn't it interesting how God oftentimes does things different than we would do them? And He chooses to use us. So what is it that holds us back individually? What is it that stops you from being bold and unhindered in your witness for Jesus Christ? Is it fear? Do you think you don't know enough? Is it some sin in your life? You feel like a hypocrite? Are you unhindered? Uh, Today we're going to talk about being unhindered for the gospel. And we see what Paul shares here about these people that were hindered to responding to the gospel. And he talks to them in the negative, but I think when you look at it from the positive, that's the very thing that would need to take place in our lives for us to be unhindered. He talks about these perception organs that they have, their eyes, their ears, and their hearts. And those are the key. Those are crucial to being unhindered for the sake of the gospel. The first key is that we would hear. And so I ask you this question. Do you hear what God says? Do you hear what he's saying to you? And we look in this passage of scripture and you go back up to that prophecy. It started off, he gets in this conversation with the Jews. He calls the leaders of the Jews. They say, we want to hear you. Then he speaks to them and they don't hear. They don't listen. They hear the words. They start to argue about it. And then he tells them, here's your problem. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 in our passage. Acts chapter 28, verse 26. Go to this people. Originally, this was told to Isaiah so that Isaiah would be ready for the rejection of his people. But Paul's saying this applies to these folks today and it applies to some of us as well. Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. It's not that your ears don't work. It's not that you can't hear audible things coming into them. It's not that you can't read the Bible and recite back the things that are stated here. But it's like something happens between perception and appropriating that information into your life. And if you look at hearing throughout the Bible, the concept of hearing throughout the Bible, it's not so much just audibly hearing things, it's a proper response to God. It's metaphorically how it's oftentimes used. In the book of Job, in Job chapter 36 and verse 10, God says this, he says, he makes them listen 
to correction and commands them to repent. So there's activity. That's the evidence that you've heard. It's not that you can say it back. That there's a response. It's a proper response to God. He commands them to repent of their evil. That's in the Old Testament. You jump all the way to the end of the New Testament. Jesus Christ himself says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Spirit's speaking to the churches still. Are we listening? Jesus says, Jesus is preaching in Luke chapter 11. A woman yells out in the middle of his sermon, Blessed is your mother. Jesus handles the heckler. Jesus says back, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Forget about my mom. What about you? Are you going to hear what I'm preaching and are you going to do it? There's that passage of scripture. It's famous in James chapter 1. Perhaps you've heard it before. It says, do not merely listen to the word. James chapter 1 verse 22. Don't just listen and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then he goes on and he gives an illustration. It's an interesting illustration. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what he says is like a man. James, why are you going to say it's only men? It's like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. Oh, okay. Now it makes sense. Got it. A lady would never do this, right? I see guys every once in a while come walking around, it's like bedhead, you know, the thing, whatever. After looking at himself, he goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Oh, see, sometimes we think that if we were to do what the scripture says, that's what's holding us back. That's the leash. But saying this is it's listening to the law and obeying the law. He actually wants you to have freedom to be unleashed. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard. But doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. See, with hearing comes doing. And here in this passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 28, it's clear that that Luke's emphasizing here the idea of hearing. Back in verse 22, after the Jews were introduced to Paul, heard his story, how he got to Rome, says, we want to hear. Verse 22 says it's five times in this passage it talks about hearing. Then Paul goes on, he preaches to them, verses 23 through 25, tells them about the kingdom of God, tells them about Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, he's their prophet, he's their Messiah, he's the one the prophets talked about, I mean, he's the Messiah. They argue about it. They're not receiving it, but they heard it. And so he quotes them Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, which we find in verses 26 and 27, three times it says hearing. Go to this people and say, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. Verse 27, they hardly hear with their ears. Later it says, if they would hear, then they would turn. There'd be a response. There'd be an action. That's the evidence that you've heard. And then he says, because they didn't hear, verse 28, I'm going to go to the Gentiles because they will listen. They will hear. It's being emphasized here because hearing is so important. You know what's really ironic? It's who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jews. But not just any Jews. Remember in verse 17, he called the leaders of the Jews. So these are people who lead the synagogues. That means they're the people who teach the Bible. They're the people that make sure other people are hearing from God. And not only that, but then all the people who listen to those men, so everybody who listens to their leadership and follows them, they show up to hear from Paul. So they go around and they tell their friends. And so it's people that are like leading Bible studies. And it's people that are having people in their home that talk about the scriptures. These are people that if you ask them, do you hear what God says? They'd say, of course I do. And they could quote it back to you. And they may even talk to you about how they live a certain moral way as a result of it. They may even talk to you about the political desires that they have with the coming king and the Messiah because that's how the Jews felt, is that he's going to come, he's going to come and alleviate taxation. They might even talk to you about the religious rituals they go through and it might even make some of us feel good, like you're so much more committed than I am. And the question for us is, not can you quote scripture 
Not are you some persuasion politically, not do you have these types of moral views, not what are your moral standards, but do you hear what God says? And the way you answer the question is, am I doing it? And so you could ask yourself questions like this. You hear a message on holiness. Do you leave and say, oh, that was a good message, or ooh, that one hurt? Or do you deal with your sin? You hear a message on God's word. And how God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. How it nourishes us. How we go to it for for everything that we need. For our sustenance. And everything that we need for godliness is given to us in the word. And you hear it. And you walk out. And do you say, I should really read the word more. Or do you read it? You've been going through the book of Acts. If you've been part of this church for 19 months. That's less than 100 messages. But it's a lot of messages. The whole book is about Acts 1-8. You will be, you're going to receive power. You're going to be the witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Then we've seen Acts chapter 1 through 7. It's all about the gospel being spread through Jerusalem and Judea. Acts chapter 8 through 13. It's all about the gospel being spread through, through Samaria and the areas of Samaritan areas. And everything beyond Samaria is the ends of the earth. And now from chapter 13 through chapter 28, what we end up seeing is the gospel gets to the political center of the world, the most influential place the biggest, most dominant empire that the world has known to this point, Rome. And it's still going. And so we can talk about all that and you can know all that information. But let me ask you this. Have you witnessed anyone in the last 19 months? Are you bolder in your faith as a result of seeing what the mission of the church is? Or do you walk out and you're like, oh, good, that's how God deals, that's how God uses pain, that's how God uses sovereignty shows up, and in the storms, and when there's sin, and an ice and sapphire run, there should be holiness, and all this Are you different? Has your life been changed? And you know, why do you do it? Let me read that verse again. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive everyone else, uh-uh, and deceive yourself. That's who we deceive. These people were deceived. That was the problem. Do what it says. And it says here that Paul's talking to them and he tells them, Isaiah said he was right when he talked about your forefathers and it applies to you. It applies to some of us. He says, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. And when I read that this week, the the image I got was unfortunately of myself. Uh, The first thing I thought of was in my house, how sometimes I'll be on my, I'm sure you never do this, but sometimes I'll be on my phone or I'll be reading a book, or on my computer, or whatever, and my wife will start talking to me, and I make the mistake of pretending like I'm listening. She'll say, oh, this is going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm still on my phone, or I'm still on my computer, I'm still reading my book, and then she starts to tell me, I'm sure she's sharing like deep thoughts, or some kind of thing she's struggling with, what happened in her day, some dreams or aspirations she has, and like a fool, I grunt, uh, hmm. Yeah, and I'm still doing my thing. And everything's going fine until she asks the question. The question is, are you listening to me? <laughs> that is the moment of truth. Do I lie at this moment? Or do I say I'm sorry? That's the path that I have to decide. To t- which one am I going to do? Because she knows, even if I can say back to her verbatim what she said to me, she knows I'm not listening. That's where the Jews were at. And you know how they knew? Because they could quote the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. Some of them had probably seen Jesus crucified. Some of them perhaps heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount, heard Jesus' message, have certainly heard other Christians talk about it. They didn't respond. They didn't turn. There was no action. So what was the problem? Not like me being distracted. 
we're told what the problem is. The problem is told to us in verse 27. Look at it. For this people's heart, because or for is the translation of that word in verse 27, for this people's heart has become calloused. So the issue of not hearing is not an ear issue. It's a heart issue. The issue is not they've got wax build up. The issue is here it's a callous or hardened heart. Very literally, that word for callous can be translated a fatty heart. It's grown thick. And this would be an image that would be very vivid for a Jewish listener who would be used to dressing their meat. And they open, you see it, seeing an open carcass, uh, fixing and preparing their own meat. They'd know what a heart was like that had so much fat around it that it couldn't function properly. And I want you to process that because I think the application is so obvious. I almost wonder if I have to say it. It's that there are things in their lives that are stopping them from responding to God's word. It's the fat around the heart that's stopping the heart from doing what the heart's supposed to do. It's the things in our lives that are stopping it. We hear the word, we know what it says, but we don't do it because of something else in our life. Think about it for the Jews. Pride, incredibly humbling that the Messiah came and your people killed him and that you've rejected him, you're not going to have to admit that you're wrong. Turn. So pride becomes part of the fatty material around the heart. And there's lots of things that we could say in our lives. Do you have a hard heart? Do you have a fatty heart is really the translation? A callus? You think about how calluses build up. You go to work out in the yard and you dig for the first time. And if you've got soft computer hands like I do, you get a blister. And then you go to work again, and you go to work again, and eventually it gets hardened. That's what it's like hearing God's word when you don't respond to it. The more and more you don't respond to it, the harder and harder your heart gets, the more and more resistant you are to hearing from him. Do you hear what he says? Not do you just know the words, but do you respond? Or are there things that are crowding out your heart? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's your comforts. Maybe it's convenience. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's a list of sins. Lust. It could be all kinds of different things. Is there substances around the heart that stop the heart from responding appropriately to God's word? Do you hear what he's saying? Because he's still speaking. I had a friend that told me a story the other day. We were having lunch together and just asking how his trip went. He told me he was at the airport, he's traveling, and a woman came up to him and said, are you the type that likes to talk? And he said, yes. And I said out loud, oh, no. Because I thought I knew where this conversation was going. I assumed she was going to start hitting on him. But this woman sits down and starts talking to him at the airport and asking him about what God wants to do in her life. Never met this guy before. Starts talking to him about God and what God wants for life and says to him, do you know what God wants for me? And he said to her, have you asked him? And some of us, that's how we are. We'll talk to everybody else. and, and all kind of, But do you ask God what he wants to say to you? Are you listening? Because if he says it, then we respond. Because that's how this movement works is that we hear from God and then we say something about what he said to us. That's being a witness. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14 says it this way. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how do we hear? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Someone else has to say it to them. You jump down in verse 17 in Romans chapter 10. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. And how does that happen? It happens through believers then saying that they hear the word. And then they speak the word to others. And then people hear the word. And their lives are transformed. And then they speak the word to others. And that's how the movement happens. So you know whether or not you're listening by are you telling. So do you hear what he's saying? 
See, we want you to hear the word at this church. We preach the word every week. It's why I don't get up and talk about, here's how you can be a good friend. Let me tell you some principles of good friendship. Maybe throw some verses on it. We want to open up the word because we want you to hear from Christ. So we designed our small groups the way we have, our e-groups. Is it so you get together, you talk about the message, you get into the word, and then what am I going to do about it is the idea of the small groups. Do you take it further than what happens here in this meeting right now? That's why we talk to our church about we want everybody in here to have a one, have one person at least a year that you're praying will come to Christ, that you want to share Christ with, that you're going to tell, so that you're actually doing this. We, the Bible wants you to share more than one person a year. Okay, we're just trying to give you something tangible to, to, to go for. And let me tell you something, people are doing it. It's happening. I'm going to tell you story after story of people leading their one to Christ or people's coming to Christ. There's one, one couple that's in the first service. They said that I could share their story. Pat and Lisa Dowd. Uh, Pat comes from a background, Catholic background, uh, but over the last several years would have described himself as agnostic, meaning that God might be out there, but if he is, I can't know him. And then Lisa comes from a Jewish background, which we know from seeing the scriptures, typically Jews reject Christ. Well, there was a couple at our church that had heard the word, they wanted to go share the word, wanted to witness, and so it goes and starts telling them about the gospel, about Jesus, invites them to come to their church. They start coming here to Southbridge. On Easter Sunday, they heard the gospel in a different way they'd ever heard it before. And so it just resonated. You know, sometimes you can hear something and hear something and hear something. They've heard it. They heard it other Sundays they visited. They heard it from their friends. But on Easter Sunday, they both prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then, you may have seen their video a few weeks ago when we baptized people. They were both baptized. And the blessing for me when they were baptized is seeing how God had brought so many different believers, some that went to this church, some that didn't go to this church, that were praying for them, that were caring for them, that were sharing for them. What happened was this. Those believers went to our church, heard the word that we're supposed to be as witnesses. So they said, oh, I'm going to do it. They went out and they did it. And then they shared the word. That's Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 17. And then somebody else heard the word, and when they heard the word, they realized that they needed to turn. Because see, some people need to go and apply the word, do the word. If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something. God wants for you, God wants for you more than he wants your jobs to be better, more than he wants your marriage to be improved, more than he wants your health, more than he wants any of this stuff. He wants you to turn to his son, Jesus Christ. It's God's will that none should perish, but that all would turn, would all would repent. And we know that Paul's wanting action in this passage. He says, if you heard, then you'd turn, you'd repent, you'd take action. That's what God wants for you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you so that you would then turn to him. You would see his love for you and be so compelled by his love for you. You'd fall in love with him and you'd begin to love what he loves. And then what he loves is the people in this world. And you begin to share with those people. It's happening here at our church. I know there are people that are sharing their faith. So another uh, story I'll share with you briefly is a young woman in our church came up to me and we started talking about 10X and having your one and all those types of things. She told me she had two people. So she's like an overachiever, right? She had two co-workers that she was praying for and trying to share with, inviting to church, and, and they started coming to church. And one of them, his name was Steve. Steve told me I could share a story. Steve came from England, uh, didn't go to church at all there, and met this new co-worker. This co-worker invites him to church. He starts coming to church, starts hearing the gospel, and Steve would go out afterwards, and he'd reflect on it, start thinking about it. And, and his friend would come up to me and say, hey, Steve's out in his car. He's praying right now. He's thinking about this right now. We've got to pray for him, like, right now. He was processing. So we'd pray for him, and and then one Sunday, Steve woke up before he ever even came to church, and he said he felt like God impressed upon his heart. What are you waiting for? Why don't you trust Christ now? And he prayed to receive Christ before church started. He said, the first words I said when I got up that Sunday is, what are you waiting for? What's stopping you from trusting Christ? I had no idea that's what it was impressed upon his heart that morning. And I've met with Steve, had breakfast with Steve. He's told me, God's changing everything in his life. Why? Because he hears the word, and he responds to it. And then you go out and you share it with other people and you tell other people and, they, and that's how the movement happens and it's happening. 
It wasn't happening for these Jews because they wouldn't turn themselves, because they couldn't hear. And while hearing, they didn't understand. The reason they didn't understand is because their hearts were hard. Do you hear? Do you hear what he's saying? The second organ that he talks about is seeing. Not only do you hear what God's saying to you, if you want to live a life unhindered for the gospel, but do you see what God's doing all around you? Do you see what he's doing? It says here, the second part of this prophecy from Isaiah says, you'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. You'll see it, but you can't appropriate it into your life. It's, like, it's there. Some of these people may have seen Jesus crucified, but it's like they don't see it. <laughs> the, the, the image this gave me in my mind this week was, again, uh, not a great one of myself. And at my house with, with my wife, sometimes I want to get a snack, and I will go to the refrigerator, and I'll open up the refrigerator, and before me will be all the food that we own. And I will say to my wife, Shanna, we don't have anything to eat. And usually what I'm looking for uh, is cheese, because I love cheese. Okay, I love all kinds of cheese. It doesn't matter if it's shredded cheese, if it's pimento cheese, if it's blocks of cheese, if it's cheddar cheese. It doesn't matter what kind of cheese, even blue cheese and goat cheese and all kinds of, I like cheese. So some of you like bacon. Cheese is my bacon, okay? I like bacon on cheese. That's really good, by the way. Uh, I really like cheese, but I'll be looking for cheese, and I'll be sitting in the refrigerator and looking in the, in the refrigerator, and I'll say, Shannon, there's nothing to eat, and she will not even say a word. She walks up, she grabs a block of cheese that was about at eye level for me, <laughs> then hands it to me, and it's, I could see my eyes were working, but it's like I couldn't take the information that I saw there and do anything. It's like it just wasn't even there. Have you ever done that? All the wives said, yeah, amen. That's <laughs> right there. You know, seeing, but not perceiving. Now, try and imagine this for a moment. Imagine you've never read the Bible before. Imagine you don't know anything about the story of redemption. The whole Bible is a story of redemption, by the way. Some of you might be newer to church, newer to the Bible, and you didn't know that. Um, the whole thing points to Jesus Christ from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, people mess up. Humanity messes up. They turn their backs on God. All of humanity is ruined at that point. And so what happens in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there's a promise of one who's going to come and he's going to fix the problem. Then the whole Old Testament points to that one. When you go through the Pentateuch and the law and how nobody can keep the law, and so we need somebody to bail us out, and when's he going to come? When is that seed that was mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 going to happen? We get to the historic books. Is it David? It's not David. It's somebody that's coming in the line of David. Okay, but when's he going to come? We get to the prophets. Hundreds of prophecies are said. Keeps talking about this guy who's going to come. Oh, and by the way, God chooses his people to be the Jewish people. These are the Jewish scriptures, and they were Jewish prophets. And then we get to the New Testament, and there's a Jew born. His name is Jesus. He fulfills all the prophecies. He dies. Not only does he die, he raises from the dead. He was killed by the Jews. That doesn't make sense if you're reading the Bible for the first time. Why would you kill your own Messiah? How do you not see? And then after he raises from the dead, he's prophesied about, he's spoken about by Paul, by Peter, by Jewish men. And they still turn their backs. How do you not see? It's a hard issue. The fatty heart. There's other stuff there. There's, I, I've got my religion. I've got my plan. I want, I want the king to come and get rid of my tax problem, not my sin problem. I want the king to make other people behave the way that I think people should behave, not transform the way I see everything in the world and transform my life and turn everything upside down. So you have a fatty heart. Do you see? Not just do you hear, do you see? Because if you see, then you know what you do is you show. The same as if you hear, then you tell. See, what Christianity, let me make Christianity really simple for you. Here's what happens. God loved you so much, he's going to compel you with his love to fall in love with him. 
because of what he did through his son Jesus Christ in dealing with your sin problem, that Jesus Christ came and took the wrath of God that was focused on you and put it on his son Jesus. Jesus died. God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only child, for you so that you could have eternal life. And when you do, then you fall in a love relationship with him. You begin to love him more. As you begin to love him more, you start to love what he loves. He loves the world. He loves people. And so he sends you out on mission to be his witnesses, to go make disciples, just as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Preach the gospel to all the nations. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. That's the mission. And so what happens then, simplest terms I can give you, my kids will understand this, is you're now on a show-and-tell experiment. I'm going to show you what's happened in my life by the way that I live my life. I'm going to tell you about what I've heard with my lips. Show and tell. So that's how you know if you see and if you hear. And so how is God demonstrating himself? Well, you see throughout the Bible, he demonstrates himself through his people. You get to the book of John and the book of Mark and the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. And what happens is Jesus Christ comes. And what happens? That's God in the flesh, God incarnate. He comes, he's there. That's how people see God. John chapter 1, verse 18, he says it this way. It says, no one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's right side, talking about the Son, has made him known. So Jesus Christ makes God known the way he lives his life throughout the Gospels and the words that he says throughout the Gospels. And then what happens? Jesus dies, he raises, he ascends into heaven. And so what happens in Acts chapter 1 is that then he appears to his followers, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. It's a bookend. Because here Paul's been preaching about the kingdom of God. That's what's preached about in verse 31. He's telling them about his rule and his reign in their lives. And then what we see through the book of Acts is they're his witnesses. And how do they witness? They speak, but then also what do they do? They live it. When they're persecuted, how do they respond? When there's sin in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, how do they respond? Well, they get serious about holiness. When there's a problem with the way the church is organized and they know how serious this mission is, what do they do? Acts chapter 6, they reorganize the church so they can be more effective in their mission. And continue to go through the book. And what do you see? It's reflection of the life of Jesus Christ. When they're persecuted... They're not just arguing and defending themselves. They're proclaiming Christ. What did Jesus do? When Stephen's being martyred, the first Christian martyr, what does he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Have we seen that before? It's the way they're living their lives that's making a difference. And then you know what happens? And the book of Acts doesn't end. And it goes into the second century. And it goes into the third century. And that's what we see. And I've shared these illustrations with you before. You know how God demonstrates himself? And why the, the, the movement of Christianity spread throughout the world the way that it did? It wasn't because of church buildings. It wasn't because of eloquent preachers. It wasn't because of stained glass windows or steeples or doctrinal statements. It was because of the lives of those who followed Jesus. Secular historians say that. And so I've told you some stories, and I'll share some of them with you again. There were two great plagues that went through Rome in the, in the second, first, second century and took many lives, wiped out a bunch of the population. And what happened was the Roman, the pagans, would flee to the mountains and desert their family when their family got sick. And they would throw bodies out into the streets. It was the Christians who stayed back at risk of their own lives to nurse people back to health. And many of those Christians died in the process because they took on those diseases. But all of them didn't. And so if you're a pagan and you got deserted by your family because you got sick, and then this person you don't even know comes and is willing to take on your disease to share with you this love and you survive, you've got to ask some questions who are these people and why are they doing this? And ultimately then you have to deal with Jesus. It was the Christians that would do these things. It was the Christians that when they would fast at the early church, they didn't fast like many times we see fasting promoted, like it's a weight loss program or like it's for your spiritual benefit. When they would fast, oftentimes they would fast so that they wouldn't spend money on groceries. They'd take the money they would have spent on their own meal and they buy groceries for someone else. 
It was that kind of love that caused Christianity to sweep through the nations. And that's why most historians agree that there were approximately, at the end of the first century, 100 AD, approximately 100,000 followers of Christ. That's about 40 years after the book of Acts is over with. 100,000 followers of Jesus Christ. 100 years after that, 200 AD, they estimate there were about 1.5 million followers of Jesus Christ. More than 10 times. A hundred years after that, 300 AD, they estimate there were six million followers of Jesus Christ. That was in an empire of 60 million people. So one in 10 people would bow their knee to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is Lord. Now, don't get messed up by the stats we hear in America that 70% of people say that they're born again. Okay, you got to pick something, right? I'm not Muslim. I'm not this. All right, here we go. Because they were living in a context at that time when to bow your knee to Jesus Christ put your life in danger. It was not a political view. It wasn't a moral stance. They were willing to give their lives away to say they were following Jesus Christ because you were supposed to bow your knee to Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. And so the reason why it happened is because people saw Christianity lived out through people. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good deeds, that would glorify your Father who's in heaven. That's why we're here. That's what we're supposed to do. See, tell, show, tell. And I know some of you do it. We see people do it in our church. Every week we try to help people that are trapped in human trafficking and people that work with orphans. And we did our Compassion Sunday. We had the young lady come here and talk about how her life was saved through the ministry of Compassion International and her eternity was transformed. And then you all responded. We had 147 kids sponsored this year through Compassion International just in Bolivia. It's amazing. I know you want to do it. But is it true for all of us? Is that your life? You see, what if we loved God so much that we loved what he loved? See, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Would you give your only child so that someone else in this city could come to Christ? See, Paul goes to the Jews here. The Jews are the ones that tried to kill him. They stoned him when they came to the synagogue preaching. The Jews flogged him. The Jews falsely accused him, and that's why he's been in prison for over two years now. That's why he's under arrest, and he says when he gets there, I I didn't come to accuse you of anything. Three years before this happens, he had written a letter to a group of Christians in Rome. It's called Romans. It's in the Bible. Romans chapter 9, he says, verse 3, I would give up my own salvation if they would come to Christ. I would be accursed. Would you spend eternity in hell? so that other people would come to Christ. See, Paul's saying that he's got it. He gets it. He loves God, so then he loves what God loves. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, my prayer for them, I'm praying for them. I've got my one. It's not a person. It's a whole group of people. Here's my one. I want them to be saved, the Jews. And I'd do anything for it to happen. Now, Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, but he wants everyone to come to know Jesus Christ. And it changes the way that he lives. And then we see verses 30 and 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. Anybody who would listen, he'd tell. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's so interesting here that we don't get an ending. Well, so where's Caesar? You're supposed to go before Caesar. And what happens? Luke doesn't tell us. We know from tradition what happens. But why doesn't Luke tell us? Let me tell you why. Because the book of Acts is not the biography of Paul. The book of Acts is the biography of the church. And what's unhindered here isn't the person, because he's preaching unhindered, he's in chains. There's irony here. 
what's unhindered is the gospel going forward, regardless of circumstances in our life. And we've seen it all through Acts. Persecution, sin, arguments, problems with other believers, problems with non-believers, almost death, the main person dies, the, the, the God uses that, he spreads it out even more. Because the gospel will go forth. That should teach you, you're on, you're on the, the winning team, by the way. God is sovereign, and regardless of the circumstances, he can be trusted, and the gospel will go forth. The question we have to ask as followers of his is, am I going to be part of the process? Or is he going to do it in spite of me, through my rebellion, and through my rejection? See, that's what happens with the Jews. You turned your back, so now the Gentiles here. And then Stephen, he goes out, and he's faithful, and that's how people hear. God's going to get the gospel out. Do you get it? Do you see... Do you hear? See, the story's not over here. It's still being written. It's with you and it's with me. And so my challenge to you is this. Go, do it. And just like the book of Acts has no ending, the sermon will have no ending. See you.